Well, that was a film about... What was it about? An hour and 19 minutes. I can't tell no, you what the themes no, were that is, of the that film. Is well beyond what it actually is. The, the film runs an hour 11. Oh, I, sh- I need to stop counting the credits as well, because I and think that's Amazon does when the it credits. gives you the runtime. That's before you take the credits out. <laughs> oh! Why does Amazon tell me it's an hour and 19 minutes? I don't know. They always do that. They tell me something, and then it turns out it was far shorter than that. Yeah, um, it's, 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 it's like an hour I don't think it had minutes. any bonus features at the end. I don't, I scrolled past the end of the credits just to make sure that there was nothing no. there. I didn't see anything. We're talking about Blood Rain 3. It's, it's not called that. It's Blood Rain the Third Reich. That's um, right. Because they've got that Blackadder naming convention. Mm-hmm. Blackadder 2, Blackadder the Third, and Blackadder Goes Forth. Which is a great series of comedy programs. Had Hugh Laurie in. Um, he was in one episode of Blackadder 2 he was a regular in Blackadder the 3rd as uh, Prince George and then he was um, I want to say Lieutenant George in Blackadder Goes Forth so mm-hmm. that's a little rundown of Hugh Laurie's appearances in Blackadder uh, which is infinitely more interesting than discussing Blood Rain the 3rd Reich um <laughs> Mercifully short. That's my review of it. If you want my New York Times review of it, mercifully short. Even that felt long, though. I started playing Shakedown Hawaii towards the end on my Switch. Which is a good good bit of fun. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I set the downloads to start just as I was putting the Third Reich on. It downloaded very quickly, and then I spent the rest of the film just wanting to play Shakedown Hawaii. It is quite good, though. I'm enjoying it. I'm in sh- I'm finding it more immediately engaging than I found um, Retro Rampage, Retro City Rampage. It gives you a lot more guidance early on. I think in that's this. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything yeah. just feels a bit quicker and more fluid, and and just Retro City Rampage. I liked it, but it always felt a little awkward, so I never played it, it for like, very long. It just really felt like a novelty, like a really impressive novelty, and I had fun with it, but it didn't. I, I wouldn't have put it on like uh, in my list of top five indie games even of that year probably. Right? Yeah. Um, but this but one, this, it it looks yeah. gorgeous. It plays really smoothly. Um, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's very amusing. It's got some real good. There's a reason why the developer reached out to me a lot, saying this is right up your alley. This is this is exactly your Jimquisition beat, <laughs> and I see why he said it now, um, yeah. because it is so very. It, it mocks everything I mock on the Jimquisition, basically. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably do impressions of that at some point. But, yeah, uh, that was infinitely more interesting than this. This is sadly one of those films that are more... They're, they're more boring than bad. They're, they're still bad. They really, they're the worst kind of bad. Because if something's truly terrible, you can talk about that. When a, game, when a film is treading water like this... The best you can talk about is Clint Howard's non-accent. Oh, oh I think Jim, so Jim, just... you sweet summer boy. I have so much to talk about with this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because like first of all, it's like you sort of have an expectation when you have the same production team working within a series. That, like, at least they plateau, right? If not, do a little 
better job because they have more familiarity with the the material and, and what they're working with as it goes along. Yeah. Is it just me or is everybody in this movie worse than they were in Blood Rain 2? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There was... Blood Rain 2 is a bad film, but there's a modicum of energy to it. There's a feeling like there's... There's a bit of personality in there. There are actors who are trying. Um, it's not shot like a sci-fi original TV series. Um, this well, one, let's well, not get crazy. It does have that like really terrible <laughs> exterior set. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, not just in terms of the way the sets and the designs and the characters and the the outfits look. I mean, just in terms of film quality as well. The, the uh, Blood Rain the Third Reich looks remarkably closer to a sci-fi original TV show. Yeah, um, I suppose that's fair. Everything's I mean... a bit worse. It reminds me of like the the some legendarily bad not even B movie directors, the C to D movie directors that still somehow have a name, like Len Kabazinski, who gets featured on Best of the Worst a lot, Umi Lamel, who is someone me and my social group have a fascination with, who made some credible films a very long time ago and now makes shit I can't even they're, they're, they're mostly named after Edgar Allan Poe stories because there's no copyright on it I think mm-hmm. and they've got nothing to do with Edgar Allan Poe except one movie which had him in it had someone in someone's bedroom in a dream sequence playing Edgar Allan Poe um, but anyway they're the kind of movies that take 15 minutes to set up a, a murder which is normally just someone like pouring out dinner from a tin or one we saw that was it uh, murder was taking place in a dentist's office and it was a straight 15 minutes of a dentist's chair and cutting to someone creeping up on something um it's at that level umi lamel there's another fucker the kind of people who i i bring this up a lot because it's well it's true and it's pertinent um when you scroll too far back into the amazon video section and start finding the stuff that people have just filmed and uploaded. Yeah. <laughs> have yeah, just gotten yeah. on like a like, like the shit you see on Steam. That's what happens if you go into Amazon too deeply. You get the film version of it. You you find Showgirls 2, which was clearly filmed on someone's personal camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it's... true. Showgirls 2 is on Amazon, was on Amazon. There's a Batman film... That, that's on there that someone just homemade and put up there. Um, the kind of thing that has digital blood effects because they couldn't somehow get a bit of red liquid. Like they do this. everything using computer graphics. Exactly like this. There is no... If this wasn't a Blood Rain film, this would be way at the back. I mean, it already basically is. But it would be all the way at the back with a Ren Fair group that filmed their own D&D movie, which is something I've seen. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends out here, we get very bored, a little bit drunk, and then decide to see what the worst things we can find are. And we always find something so amateur, it's borderline unwatchable. And that's the level this is approaching. And mostly I find I found this film so boring. I wasn't entertained by how bad it was. I could at least get a bit of entertainment from the overacting in Blood Rain 2, but there's no acting in this, let alone overacting. 
It's just people standing around fucking talking. They they are attempting to act, but they're attempting to act naturalistically and keeping it subdued in what should be a camp exaggeration. Yes, because actually, I was thinking that's what about this. On. I was thinking about this. There's a scene with Clint Howard where, and and I'll talk about him. We, we will talk a lot about oh, Clint Howard, about I'm Clint. sure. Yeah. Um, where Clint Howard is playing the character of the Doctor. <sighs> oh no, he's got a name. Yeah, no, you it, he, in the credits he's just credited it as Doctor. Yes, but uh, but he has a name. It's Doctor Mangala. Now that's not what it says on IMDb, but yes. I'm not. I'm not. Well, that that. Let me just say, I know what movie we're watching next, and I'll tell you why we're watching it next. And it requires having watched this film to watch that next film. And I know he's Dr. Mangler in this because he's Dr. Mangler in that. Oh. Yes, so that's their hilarious play on Dr. Mangler. He's Dr. Mangler. But anyway, anyway, the point is, um, there's a scene where the Doctor... Has yeah, a... wait, okay, I'm thoroughly confused. Where did they get these fucking names? I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for it, as no doubt you are, to you know, identify these characters. I did. I gave it a look last night. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I don't. Uh, none of these characters are given names. No, 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 not in the film. Not in, in the, film. the film. They're not credited with names in the film. Yeah. Where the fuck did these names come from? Uh, well, stop looking at the Wikipedia page because it will give it away. I'm going to drop something on you. Um, oh. So ba- basically you'll learn where all the humour went, uh, all the attempted humour. Um, anyway, so the Doctor has this crucifix and another German officer is about to go encounter this vampire and he's like, how do you know all this works or something? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know anything about how this works. I only know what I've learned. And I thought it was a setup for a joke where he'd be like, well, how do you know the crucifix works? And he would just shrug and be like, I don't fucking know. And that would be at least a joke. And then it hit me. That would be expecting too much because when Uwe Boll makes a film, he sticks to the one solo lane that film is in and never once, it never occurred to anyone making the Third Reich to introduce one scene of levity. Well, it's weird because he has done that before like in films prior to this one he has inserted comic relief because he seems to understand it was necessary it was clumsy and usually not very but clearly comic relief and i think that there are a couple of points in this that are intended to be that as well like there's and but they're either too subtle or the acting is so tonally inconsistent with what they're trying to convey that it never works. I didn't pick that up from this. All I saw was the film start at one, like a set tone and not deviate from that tone throughout. And that's where I got that idea where I thought a joke was coming. And then I'm like, wait, no, of course yeah. that didn't turn into a joke. It didn't occur to this film no, that it needed see, to break anything up. Like you could hear in the writing, right? Which is God awful. This dialogue is... Oh, it's some of the worst. This, let me just say, this: the very first line of this film is a casual rape story, and the entirety of that story is that one sentence. And, and 
that leads into well, I, I messaged oh, yeah, you as we'll I was watching it. There but, isn't yeah. a single part of the first five minutes that doesn't come across as completely tasteless. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair yeah. statement. But it's like I will point out along the way things that I think were clearly sort of intended to be jokes that just don't okay. work. I didn't or pick up for me. Fail, um, or that you know points at which they want to try and say something. But I think all of this was shot in one take. Oh, absolutely. I, you know? that, at no point does it look like that was the best take they could get. It looks like the only take they got. Right. Because the dialogue, there are, there are frequent stumbles mm-hmm. and, and pauses that I, if I were the actor, I would have been like, can we do another one of these? The only reason you wouldn't with some of the performances that are here is if you've worked with Uva Bowl long enough to know <laughs> that it's pointless to ask for a second take. Yeah. Turn up, film, get your free sandwich and go. Yeah. 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 I um I'll admit, sometimes when we do this, I've not done it in a while actually, but certainly in some of our earlier ones, I would watch on my computer. Which would, of course, because I've got a very scattery brain, I'd get bored or distracted and spend a lot of the movie in another tab and Mm. then would have to spend this podcast guessing and doing my best to talk about something I barely paid attention to. Right. It's part of the show's charm, I tell myself, Mm. to justify it. Um, This one, and as I said, lately, for the past... more than a year. Years. How long have we been doing this? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah, for a very long time. I stopped doing that and started watching it on the TV because I'm like, I want to concentrate on this stuff. Basically, when we started doing good films, uh-huh. I paid attention. And then when we did other bad films, I just got into the habit of having watched it on TV and paying attention. Right. With this, I, I did that. I put it on the TV. I sat there, no distraction. Barely even put my phone up except for that time to tell you how bad it was um barely had my phone on during the whole thing i still can't quite recall details of this film because my brain started opening tabs itself (laughs) it tabbed out and i was sat there and i just started thinking of things i just i was i was enjoying my own imagination was coming up with ideas for Boston's favorite son. I, I was actually... coming up with ideas for wrestling. I was coming up with video ideas. I was I was having a great time in my head while the film was playing at me. I think that, you know, some intelligence services might be interested in the techniques in this film as a form of low-grade hypnosis. Maybe. I mean, yeah, like like it would be good for regression. <laughs> if you want to do like the past life shit, because if you watch, if you put this film on a loop and have them watch it enough, eventually their brain will run out of subjects yeah. and start trying to think of the subjects of past lives. Um, start, well, they can yeah. start unpacking their own, you know, like personal traumas. Uh, the psychiatric applications are endless. <laughs> endless. I will say this, though. I'm going to give some praise to Clint Howard, um, legendary B-movie actor, mm-hmm. Ron Howard's brother. Yeah, am I right yep, about that? That's yep. correct. Star of, you know, Ice Cream Man. 
a slasher movie about a you know an evil ice cream man, um, and many other things. He, we've talked about him before. He was on. He he's was in the in. House of the Dead movie. Yeah, um, he's been in a lot of shit. If you've seen the weird guy in those films, you've seen Clint. And Uwe Boll loves him. He's been in a bunch of Boll stuff. Of course, yeah. he's cheap. And he's I like cheap, Clint and people Howard. have heard of him. I love Clint Howard. He's got a very. Uh, there's nobody who looks like Clint Howard. (laughs) There's no one who looks like Clint Howard. And even at his worst, he's putting in more effort than anyone else. Yep. It's not Ben Kingsley levels of commitment to shite, but it's respectable. Well, I mean, it's not Zane, you know. No, oh no, it's no Zane. It's no Zane. No, Uh, it's no Zane. No one is Zane. Zane's untouchable. But I will say that Clint Howard certainly, yes, he does not show up in Kingsley ever. He he's in for yeah. a penny and for a pound. He gives a performance, but even he is a bit muted and off here. Well, that's the thing, because I think he's doing an accent, and that's harmed his ability to act. He he seems to think that a German accent involves talking in a. It's a lot of hissing. A loud whisper. Yeah. yeah, but I'll say this: I spent so much of the film thinking to myself, he's not even trying. And then stopping myself and thinking, wait, no, he is. Mm-hmm. So his accent is so bad, it looks like he's not bothering to do one. So, as a note of praise, we could genuinely say that Clint Howard makes a German accent look effortless. <laughs> it looks like he's putting no effort in, but if you pay attention, he sort of is. It's awful. It, it There's... There's nothing good here. No. <laughs> Let's just say that right off the top. He's not even doing a bad <laughs> German accent. That's what gets me. It's not doing, you know, the Achtung! Heil! I am a Nazi doctor! <laughs> like that, you know, all the all the stuff you could do. It's just sort of his American accent, but whispered. <laughs> and every now and then you hear a word that doesn't sound like the way... Clint Howard would say the word. Um, we got Brendan Fletcher. He's back. Yep. Uh, he is in many Uwe Boll films. He's one of his favourites. He was in a lot of the films we've talked about. He was also in Freddy vs. Jason as the guy in the um, in the, the hospital. Uh, he was in... Ram- he started in Uwe Boll's Rampage. He was the main character. And his voice in this is a delight. He sounds exactly like an American person putting on the voice they put on when they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) I think he's trying to be English, but like, again, part of the reason I struggled to um, pay attention to this film is every time Brendan Fletcher spoke, I started going, a hail and hearty laugh for you, dear traveller. You've got provisions in your knapsack, but best hurry, goblins are on their way. It's (laughs) awful. Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, normally, Brendan Fletcher's a guy that you could count on to put in, a, you know, effort and a performance. Oh, and yeah. again, I think that he is. He just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. It's everyone in this film has to put on an accent, and and they either come across as Americans doing the worst German accents, or Germans who are not that great at English speaking. Yeah, it might be both. It might be one or the other, but it's definitely at least one. 
he just in general seems so out of place in among the group of resistance fighters just visually. Yes. He doesn't fit. But there's no real cohesion at all. Mm -mm. Blood Rain, the titular Blood Rain, who is played by a completely different actress and has a completely different hairstyle. Well, now she is the one who played Blood Rain, Blood Rain 2. Is she? She is, I know, but you can't tell because, again, her hair is different. But more to the point, her acting is somehow so much worse. Everything about her is different. I thought she was completely different. Uh, yeah, no, and I think, I, I don't know if, like, I, I, I don't, I, maybe she just she says some more in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. She shouldn't have. No. Because the dialogue's terrible and she's not acting. But everybody all. in this gets to have a monologue or two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta fill that running time. Yeah. Uh. Shakedown Hawaii was really fun when I played it last night. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. That's I, good. oh. All right, let's get this out of the way. All right. We open with a flashback of Rain witnessing her mother being raped by her vampire yeah. dad. And this already sets off alarm bells. Um, because, as we said earlier, this this story of a rather horrific act is told unbelievably casually in a sentence before we start hurrying along to the rest of the plot. But it also opens in media res. Like, the, the film starts, it just, without a logo that I even remember, it just fades in, and there's a woman with a child getting up out of a bed to answer the door or hide or something. I can't even fucking well, remember. She hides the child in, in yeah. the closet. Yeah. But it's so abrupt and not in that way of, oh, we're suddenly in the, the middle of the scene, in media res, in, in the middle of the action. This is, this is great. It's, it's more awkwardly timed. Awkwardly and... timed. And it starts with a fade in and the woman sat on the bed as if she was waiting for the director to say action. <laughs> and then she gets up and does the thing. So it's not like this sudden blur of activity, which uh, a scene like this would have if it wanted to start in media res. It's like a moment of nothing happening and then things happening to such a point where it felt like it was the middle of a scene instead of the beginning of a scene. I also, and now some of this may just go back to my not really remembering the first blood raid all of that well and i can't recall if this is the same you know footage that they took from that i think it is but i and so i don't know if i brought this up before or what's the nature of this like relationship between her two parents that this vampire keeps coming back for more so that she can witness her mother being ass assaulted Fuck knows. I can't remember. I mean, I just. I, just, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even tell it was a different. It was. It was. Uh, I couldn't even tell it was a new actress. Why do I? I just stopped myself to correct myself and said it again. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. It's like when I said on Podquisition yesterday, I said loading Ready Run instead of Ready Player One again. And so Justin <laughs> messaged me and said, "Do you want to do a quick pickup for this?" Like, I can just take out Loading Ready Run and put you saying Ready Player One in. So I said, all right, fine, that'll, that'll save people correcting me. Hit record, put the microphone up to my mouth, and said, Loading Ready Run, stop, <laughs> save, just about to send before I realised I did it again. 
Oh my gosh. I even paused for this and I was going to tell Justin, like, just cut that bit where I pause and have me transition seamlessly into me saying, I didn't even know it was the same actress to point out that I can't remember things. And then I just stopped and immediately reset what I didn't want to say. Conrad, <laughs> what's up with me? <laughs> I think that, uh, that, uh, the whole world is just collapsing around us and it becomes very difficult to care about shit like this. Yes. <laughs> it literally doesn't matter. We're doing something that doesn't matter and has no value. But, that's correct. But that still puts us one step above Blood Rain the Third Reich. Uh, so after, as, as, after we watch this rape scene at the very beginning of our, our film... Yeah, they cut to something just as tasteful and elegant. Yeah, uh, as she is in voiceover comparing her father to another notable monster from history, we are shown archival footage of Adolf Hitler. Lots of archival footage to start your your vampire action film. And Lots then of it, lazy stock fucking footage. And then it cuts to shots of a trade that's filled with Jewish prisoners. That is when I messaged you. <laughs> That's when I messaged you to say there is nothing about the first five of minutes of this movie that isn't tasteless. And that's correct. And, and it's funny because the math is so right on that. Because during this credit sequence, we see the train pull into a station where there are Nazis awaiting them. They're unloaded and led to a camp of some kind. And all of this is as the credits are continuing to roll for a full Five minutes. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'm not saying it's tasteless just because it's showing, you know. Um, no. not uh, Because it's filming scenes set in the Holocaust. It's That's fine. the presentation, the style, the suddenness of it with no, no adequate build or atmosphere. There's no atmosphere to this film. So whenever it starts talking about you know, the shit that the Third Reich did. It starts talking about the persecution of Jews or or in this case, showing some brief snippets of it during a credit sequence while it keeps fading in and out. It just looks so disrespectful. And I don't even think it's... It's not like it's making light of it. No, it's I don't not making it intends fun. to be disrespectful. Yeah, it just it's... looks disrespectful through the sheer artlessness of it. You know what is as important and significant as these... Uh, as the... Uh... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, atrocities. That's the word I'm looking for. The atrocities perpetrated on these people that we are being shown. You know what's just as important as that? What is that? The credits for Blood Raid the Third Reich. The names of the people responsible for making this piece of art. That is what we're going to contrast with these scenes of horror. Yeah, it's just it's 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 all in the presentation. It's not what they're saying or necessarily what they're doing in the shots. It's it's the way it's presented. It's it comes off as so tacky. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. fucking tacky. Then we get some more voiceover from Rain indicating that the Nazis uh, here at this uh, train depot are in for a bad time. And the station is suddenly attacked by resistance fighters and also rain. Yep. And unnecessarily dance-like fighting happens. 
Like, she does a whole lot of, I'm going to spin my swords around as I close distance on somebody before I attack them. And it's not good. No, because it doesn't look like there was much fighting training no. or choreography done. Yeah, so it's no. one of those films that rely on a lot of quick shots that don't really show the action. They oh, just hint at the action. It is cut more than a late 80s MTV music video. Yeah. It's cut more than a modern-day WWE match. It's cut more than I wanted to do to myself while watching this film in order to just feel something. The bit that stood out most for me is when they try and do a wall jump in this film. What they do is they shoot a character running towards the wall, then they shoot some feet kicking at the wall, then they show the person running away from the wall. And that gives, in their mind, the impression of some real, like, crouching tiger, hidden dragon shit. It, there is a point in this, a couple of points in this film where it's clear that they did have somebody who is, like, involved in stunts and has some martial arts training, I think, replacing the well, it's, ballet it, dancer who plays Rain. It's like a lot of overball shit. It's like there's just enough that you can tell it's a movie. But it's not, but not in, enough to look like a competent movie. It's not in the, none of it is in this sequence is what I'm, no. I'm pointing out. Is any time that they want to do something upper body only, it's the actress. And when they decide they want to incorporate legs, it's someone else. And so you'll see any time that there is bright lighting, she only ever fights only ever fights with her upper body. Yeah. And then when they dim down real dark so you can't tell who is under that wig is when you'll see her doing some spin kicks and shit. Yeah. Um, it's one of those movies where you could tell the filmmakers never actually want it to go to 4K like all the other films. Nope. It'll expose way too much. Mm-hmm. It's bad enough in regular HD. So as the Nazis are slaughtered, the uh, uh, rain follows the Nazi commandant into a train car for some really painful dialogue where he asks her, you know, if he can have the honor of knowing who it is that bested him this day. <laughs> and... This... My favourite line of, while we're on dialogue, I just want to point out my favourite line of dialogue is Brendan Fletcher acting incredulous that oh, someone Oh, yeah, no, said we'll the get word. there. We'll get there. Don't ruin okay. it. Okay. Don't ruin okay. it. Yeah, we're so going to get there because this is... <laughs> this is weird antiquated language that he is saying in this scene. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Nazi Germany by way of medieval England. But what I find so fascinating is the mishmash of language in the, in the dialogue throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Because ev- almost everything that the characters say feels comfortable in a turn of the 21st century context, right? Mm-hmm. But would feel pretty weird. You'd never hear... The things that are said in this film phrase the way they are in a period piece set in the 1940s. Oh, not at all. Right? It's not just that the accents are not good. They're not. But that's you could cover up a lot of it with good accent work. 
It's especially bad when you try to establish during your film that one of the characters is ancient and yes. thus a bit antiquated in her dialogue. Yes. And, and then that's... have her say something like, Guten Tag, motherfuckers. Right. Well, <laughs> exactly. Sorry I gave that bit away. I just, that's fine. No, it was I... too pertinent for this bit. No, I, I'm completely with you on that. You know, when she is a product of her time, she can evolve. Right. That's that's the dynamic well, the character is... arc she experiences in this film. <laughs> is that she gets her her language updated. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, she, uh... she calls them Nazis. I think one of the first things she says in this film is Nazi motherfuckers. So, you know, it's what are you yeah. going to do? Um, Which wouldn't be I mean, it would still be cringy dialogue, but it wouldn't be as noticeable if, as I said, the film establishes at one point that she is supposed to have an antiquated way of speaking. And other people had consistent and, you know, uh, for the time period dialogue to support that. Yeah, yeah. And if other characters weren't undermining her apparently outmoded way of talking by saying things like, who had the honor of besting me this day? Right, exactly that. Exactly what that. What ho, traveler! <laughs> Uh, as she is about to kill him, she is shot in the back by another Nazi. Uh, with the blood from her wound impossibly hitting the commandant in the eye. And I just want to, like, really help you visualize this. Because she is standing, you know, face to face with the Nazi commandant, totally focused on him. So totally focused that she does not at all observe the guy we see from the Commandant's perspective, moving in behind her and holding a gun, like, it's got to be a foot from the back of her head. (laughs) He has her dead to fucking rights. I I don't notice that so much just because, as we established in the last episode, I've been watching a lot of shitty... Well, as we talk about sci-fi original TV, I've been watching a lot of fucking Z Nation. And... The amount of times the guy with the special quasi-zombie blood gets shot and then the bullet goes through him into someone else. That shouldn't happen once, let alone multiple times. When you watch, like, terrible, terrible fucking fantasy and sci-fi of this level, you it's amazing what coincidences you get used to. Right. Well, here's... <laughs> <clears throat> Non-fatally wounded and the blood goes in the bloke's eye And you've just got to accept it Because you realise if they tried to write How this would work You'd be here another hour Well the physics of it are just absolutely mind-bending But like he should And this would work What What's weird about this is how well this would have actually worked Is if he had shot her through the back of the head And the bullet could have passed and caused the blood splatter that eventually lands in the commandant's eye and starts dripping down his face. That all would have worked. Instead, mm-hmm. this guy is like Lee Harvey Oswald, right? There's some magic bullet shit going here because he's aiming at the back of her head, but the bullet goes through her shoulder yep. and then curves around. i tell you what, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'll, I'll stake my reputation on this. I'm willing to bet there are at least 1,000 ways you could have gotten her blood into his blood better than this. Yeah. And they you know, they did a practical effect. There's a squib and everything. Yeah. 
But I, I, I will stake my whole professional life on this. There are at least 1,000 ways you can explain how blood gets in another person's blood without doing it this way. Paul Simon should write a song about it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So she then impales the commandant with a steel rod. Uh, and then outside, the resistance fighters hold raid at gunpoint until their leader, Nathaniel, played by Brandon Brendan Fletcher. <laughs> you almost said Brendan Fraser. I did. It's me, the <laughs> resistance fighter, Brendan Fraser. That's what he, he sounds like. He, she strikes up a conversation about how good her dance moves are mm-hmm. and that she must be the damn fear. So everyone just knows about this. <laughs> this is, you know, the, like the Bloodstone Society or the Brimstone Society or whatever the fuck it was called. Yeah, I, think it, I think it's Brimstone. I think yeah. it's Brimstone. Yeah. yeah, like it's not even that anymore. It's just everybody here knows about vampires. Well, apparently... It's so easy to make an accidental vampire that there's no way they couldn't have heard of her. A bit of blood gets in your eye. You're a vampire, mate. Oh, I think well, I think it drops down into his mouth. And that's supposed to be what it is. It's very labored. Either way, if you're if you are fighting someone where there are lots of swords and guns, and yeah. she's always bleeding all the time. <laughs> she's she making is. yeah. She's li- she's fucking shitting vampires, basically. <laughs> if it's that easy, a bit of blood in the mouth, and that's all you need. Like, tries, there's no way no one ha- like everyone hasn't heard of her. She tries to suggest that this guy is the first vampire she's ever made. It's the first one she acknowledges, because she's yeah. got a shitload of child support. Yeah, my dad has a, a joke about that too. Every you know, every time I call him up on the phone. He answers and says, who's this? And I say, it's your son. And he says, which one? And he knows that I'm the only child he's ever sired, but he likes to make that joke, and it's very funny. It's a classic routine. It's the same goddamn thing. She has no fucking clue how many children she's left scattered all over (laughs) Eastern Europe. No clue. Yeah, this is the one that she. This is the one who's Who she, she has up. to pick up after. Yeah, this this is the one that contacted the agency and tracked her down. Yeah, I've <laughs> never made a vampire who has who has come back and bit me in the ass before. Basically, so an uneasy understanding is made between Raid and the resistance fighters over the dead Nazis. And Nathaniel orders uh, the unloading of the train, which he thinks is full of weapons. But when they find it contains prisoners instead, they lead them somewhere less likely to have Nazis again in the immediate future. And then they're forgotten. Yep. <laughs> Hold- well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The plight of the Jewish people during <laughs> the Holocaust uh-huh. are... Useful as window dressing for Uberball. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But then then he's got to show us some vampire breasts exposed for our pleasure, so we can't hang around that too much. Fair enough. Fair enough. We got can a lot to fit in them. into our yeah. one hour and six minute production. Yeah, we can exploit them to serve as a very quick foundation for the, the world building. But, you know, 
there's a lot of breasts that need to be exposed for our pleasure in this 70-minute ride. So as they are walking away uh, with all of these refugees, Rain explains in voiceover that she's special among vampires because she doesn't have their weaknesses and has been hunting her kind down since, which... Of course, that would explain to anybody who's vaguely familiar with the concept of vampires why she's running around in the daytime. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we're, we're, we're three movies in. If you're not down on your blood that's, rain law that, by that, now. That's the fact of the matter is, is that it... How? how? I want to know the life of the person who accidentally stumbles into Blood Rain 3. <laughs> How would that happen? I'm trying to present all of this from that sort of dispassionate perspective, but I really want to meet that person. Yeah. I want it it stands to reason with with over seven billion people on the planet. It was six billion when I was a kid, by the way. Yeah. People have been fucking busy. McDonald's has uh, customer base has uh, agreed increased by a factor of one. Oh, unbelievable. Um so, yeah, it was 7 billion people on the world. Logistically, and, and via probability, it stands to reason there are multiple people on this earth who have somehow watched Blood Rain the Third Reich before seeing any of the others. Statistically, there's a chance at least one person has only seen this film. <coughs> <laughs> and, and no other film in history. I wonder if that. I wonder if there is someone in the world who has only seen Blood Rain the Third Reich. I may have hit upon a statistical impossibility. I say it's not impossible, but it's so improbable as to be impossible. It, I feel like it's the sort of thing we would have to engineer. Yes, I feel like. Do you like, think our friend Jonathan's kid has watched any films yet? It. Can we keep them away from watching films until they're 18? Pop that on a on a VHS. <laughs> it would be a VHS. We'll pop them in front of a VHS of Blood Rain the Third Reich and be like, that's your lot. That's what films are. And, and they'll fairness, never watch another one if we tell them that's what films are. And, and really, we have to wait until they are 18 years of age because I think showing this to a child constitutes abuse. Oh, it would be utterly illegal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's why I remembered as basically as I was talking, I then remembered what was in Blood Rain the Third Reich and had to quickly point out that we'll wait till they're eighteen. I mean I even you know, content aside, because you know so, look, kids they I we don't want to shame people away from certain types of content and things like that. I you know. Unless uh, it's Blood Rain the Third Reich. But Blood Rain the Third Reich really should be protected from people. I would <laughs> rather be caught watching porn. And I know people say that as a joke, but no. there's the there's thing, less shame. Yeah, the thing about being caught watching porn, and the the best thing about being caught watching porn, if I have to name one, is you never have to explain what you're doing. Right? Yeah, people know what you're doing. Yeah. If I'm Actually, caught watching Blood Rain the Third Reich, I have to explain myself. Actually, you know, it's like if you have to. <laughs> The only time you offer an explanation for why you're watching porn is if it in some way differs from what is obvious, right? Like the other day, my, my wife saw me watching some pornography. In reality, I was just like trying to figure out what I needed to delete off the hard drive. Yeah. Right? It, it wasn't, it had nothing to do, to do with that. I just, you know, 
needed to clear up space. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so I always watch porn because I've got something that needs clearing out. <laughs> but it was a whole that was it was that was the reason I had to offer an explanation for it. It wasn't that it would have been an issue to have been doing the other thing. Well, the thing is, is you you didn't have to offer an explanation for watching but i felt like i needed to because it yes i did and it differed from the norm right you had one but if you're caught watching porn like you you just say i am watching porn and they know what you're doing and they know why blood rain you have to ask why why would you watch that even if there's a sex scene even if you're on the sex scene the question immediately is, why, why have I watching... caught you watching the Third Reich? Why aren't I catching you watching porn? <laughs> and you have to tell them, I was, I, w- I was going to watch porn, I swear. But I had this podcast to record. <laughs> Which is the only justifiable explanation, and even that's tenuous. It is not a good one. Because we're certainly not contributing anything to culture by doing this podcast. No. <laughs> and, and we're amplifying things that actively take away from culture. And are harmful. Yeah, genuinely harmful. We're perpetuators of, of toxic sludge. The films we watch are toxic sludge. Radioactive waste. Anyway, we're, we're about ten minutes in. Yeah. Back at the train station, the Nazi commandant regains consciousness with that rod still in him. Mm, that's and... happened to me. <laughs> oh, well played. And a Nazi lieutenant enlists a soldier to help him engage in a cover-up. Uh, at the Resistance hideout, Nathaniel makes dinner for the gang, which is beans for the Resistance soldiers and pig blood for uh, blood rain. Yum, yum. Yum. And he's exchanging quips with her. And they reflect on how successful at killing Jews the Nazis are and how the odds are stacked against them and how she's going to keep fighting. And it's a really long bit of back and forth dialogue that means fuck all. And it ends with Rain being upset for reasons that are not at all clear. And as she's walking away, she passes Magda, another resistance member that we were introduced to, along with a guy named Vasily, I think. I think that's right. Vaseline. Vaseline. Uh, when we met Nathaniel. This is important, okay? Magda's <laughs> important. We've had her named once prior. We're showing her very obviously in this scene as she's as Raid walks past and she's working on a strange machine. This is important. Character establishment. Telling us that she is important. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make sure everybody is aware of that. I... I find this whole sequence unforgettable. It's now embedded into my mind, and your description has only given it further weight. The Nazi lieutenant meets with another Nazi who needlessly shoots some guy to remind us that (laughs) Nazis are emotionless killing machines. (laughs) And then this Nazi who has just shot this person tells the Nazi lieutenant that the doctor he's looking for is in his lab. Now, the doctor is our good friend Clint Howard, and he is tormenting a vampire restrained to a table and i guess this is supposed to demonstrate that like he is legendarily cruel even amongst uh nazis like i, I think guess. it's yeah i mean it's it, i mean he also views the vampire as a thing and not a person which it, it's just very straightforward 
Nazi doctor shtick. Yeah. It's just very straightforward Nazi. Yeah. Just the, the, the Dr. Mengelrock type. Yeah, and he's cutting off its ear and, and it gets all mad and tries to bite at him. <laughs> and after displaying a level of empathy for the tortured vampire that I personally found a little uncharacteristic of a Nazi in film, the lieutenant forces their conversation outside. And I now this is this is got to be character development that they're trying to do for this Nazi lieutenant to where he's just sort of disgusted by vampires more than like and and, and he isn't a bad guy. He's the not bad Nazi. He doesn't want to watch torture. He doesn't do you think, think it's the necessary. People, do you think the people who try with these films know that their trying does not matter? Do you think the person who thought to themselves we could do some character development here? And make this Nazi not seem so bad? And make this Nazi not seem so bad. <laughs> thought to themselves... This character development will matter in in some small way, or do you think? I just I wonder what when, when you're making a, a a film this shit. What makes someone try? Because no one else is, but some people are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it caught my attention because it's it's present, <laughs> you know. And the acting here isn't that bad. In fact, this actor, who plays the lieutenant. I guess what I'm driving at is people sit down to write scripts for these films. Right. That few people are going to watch and no one's going to build their career off. And it's there just to make money. It's all part of Everbold's production cycle. It's a factory. They're just factory making films. But the screenwriters on this show moments where they give a shit. And I just... I just want to imagine how these films get written. I'm, I'm not. I'm not clearly communicating my my wonder here, but it is a childlike sense of wonder when I watch a truly bad film. Um, if I'm watching something that Charles Band's written, I can understand that. Sure. The man is weird and needs to put his weird ideas down on a paper, a piece of paper. I get that. But people who are making these run of the mill get it off the conveyor belt films every now and then they try and i wonder what who's that for is it just for them is it just i'm putting in this scene of characterization and this is just for me like an actor who does a particular take just for them yeah i don't know because it it, this is imagine someone writing this (laughs) imagine imagine at some point this film didn't exist at all Someone had to bring it into being. Someone had to birth this. Someone sat down at a computer, or in this case, probably an old typewriter with stains on it, and had started typing. Just started typing until a film happened. And, and I can understand that process for many good films. But something like this, I do they just bang it out in an hour and just throw it at Uwe Boll? I mean... There are there are points at which efforts are made. And there are rare points at which both the writer and the performer are both making an effort at the same time. Yeah. 
right? And this is one of those strange moments. And I think the guy who plays the lieutenant, who is, um, oh, what is his name? Stefan Menekes. Menex? I, I don't know. Um, apologies. to Because he's actually trying. And this might be, like, the biggest thing he's been in at this point in his career. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, it looks like he, yeah, he yeah. was in Deliverance, actually. No. He was also in Blood Rain Deliverance. He was in Far Cry. He was in Postal. He's yeah. one of the... Back- he has his set. He's, like- the, he's the secondary performer in Uva Bull Phillips, which, woof. Yeah. Um, and his career following that has been, you know, a bunch of short films appearances and and a couple of uh small tv series appearances so this is you know among the biggest a guy like that i can understand them putting effort because that's a case of this scene is for my show reel i'll never show them the whole film right yeah yeah he's 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 got a little bit of hunger for it and and he's putting something in here and that kind of, you know, and that, there is a bit of payoff for that later in the story. So it's not the worst. It's one of the two best things in this film. Maybe, yeah. Which is really but again, depressing. Childlike awe at the idea that someone at some point did think enough to at least put a payoff in. Yeah. Yeah. And that man was Michael Knockoff, I think. Michael Knockoff? Knockoff, I think it's spelled, but... uh, I just said Knockoff, I'm like, that's the perfect name for a screenwriter of films like this. I think, I'm going to double check, because, uh, yeah, Michael Knockoff, and it's spelled like uh, Nacho FF. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was written as Michael C. Knockoff. He... has also... He also wrote In the Name of the King Two Worlds, so... There you go. The time travel in the name of the king. Uh, we still have a third one of those to watch, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. Oh, sweet God. Uh, he was material servicing on Rampage. He was a vis- visual effects producer on 14 episodes of the Van Helsing TV series. Okay. I keep seeing Netflix recommend me that because I watch all sorts of stupid garbage. I don't know if the Van Helsing show is good, though. And he was the visual effects office coordinator on the 2006 James Gunn film Slither. Fucking hell. What a career this man Mm. has had. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. So, back to the movie. Oh, really? I know, unfortunately. They take this conversation outside uh, the torture room where we learn that the doctor is researching longevity, and he believes that he can make Hitler immortal. Ooh, spooky. The lieutenant convinces the doctor to leave his living vampire behind so he can go check out the commandant. Rain wakes up in a crypt she's been making her, making her home and, and emerges into daylight and seems to sense something. That's kind of neat, I guess. Whatever. Back to the doctor, though. <laughs> he tells the lieutenant that he's done all he can, and the Commandant is a vampire now who will eventually heal and likely kill them all if he's not destroyed or at least restrained first. And as the Doctor goes to leave, irritated that he's come all of this way for just a common vampire, 
the lieutenant drops this little nugget that the attack on the train happened in broad daylight. Well, that has the doctor very interested. But first, we have to go back to Rain. Yes. Who is clambering on rooftops and spying on a group of German soldiers and hiding her swords, as the uh, <laughs> subtitles called it. <laughs> Not even the people who did the closed captioning for this cared enough to spell swords correctly. Swords. Swords. When I saw the rooftop and the looking down on the German officers, I thought for a moment they were going to recreate a cutscene from the first Blood Rain game. Oh. But they, they didn't. No? No. What they did do is made sure that they were effectively center frame on her breasts when she puts the swords down. Well, and, obviously. And then just to reinforce... Um, they cut to a perspective, you know, from almost ground level where the soldiers would be and zoom in again on her ample bosom. How would we know she has rests? <laughs> How the hell would we know? The doctor and the lieutenant are now walking down some stairs at the German embassy base wherever in this town that they're in and discuss the evidence that indicates that the attacker was a vampire despite the attack happening during the day. And so seemingly convinced to reconsider destroying the Commandant, the Doctor and the Lieutenant cautiously make their way in to see him. And then the Lieutenant is attacked, and the Doctor offers to help the Commandant transition. Now there's something interesting about these two seeds that are broken up uh, with uh, an ample bosom to distract us as the viewer. Yeah. It's that both of these seeds, I am fairly sure, happen in the same room. And what they did is they shot it from the one angle, uh, the, the doctor's angle, talking to the lieutenant, coming out of them. So you see the ruby comes out and he walks towards the camera and the scene ends with him facing the camera. And then when it cuts to our bosom and comes back, they shoot the rube from the other direction as they come down the stairs. So they have walked nowhere <laughs> to arrive exactly back where they were when they started a few minutes ago, maybe. That sounds like the career of most actors on Uwe Boll films. <laughs> it's just, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Why did they bother having the believe? Just to have Indeed. a shot of them walking? It's just do it all in that room. Who cares? In fact, don't even break it up with the breasts. Oh, but we need the breasts. How else would we know? How else would we know? Having made her way into the building the Nazis were hanging out, outside of, and apparently inside of, we discover it's a bordello. So now's obviously the time for Rain to get a massage. Yes. So she gets a massage from a woman, and she is apparently on a first-day basis with this masseuse. Now, they could have introduced, you know, exchanged names at the start of all this. But, I mean, it's so casual and friendly. The way, like, it seems like she's been coming here for a long time. And then there's a disturbance in one of the other rooms. So she puts on a robe and leaves to investigate, finding a Nazi client beating another masseuse. She kicks his ass, or you know, more, more accurately his testicles, uh, a couple of times, 
and then leads the beaten woman out of the room. And he, he says this line here, and this is one of the examples of the, the writer's reaching, or the writer reaching, mm-hmm. uh, and, and really wanting to say something, and the actress trying to give something to it, and making a mess, just both of them. But she says, I can't punish you for the legion of women brutalized by men, but I'll give it my best shot. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that line. That it's so awkward. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is so fucking awkward. It's very and, forced. Yeah. Yep. Strained, just ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In fact, it would have come across more believably if it had been done from a toilet, <laughs> delivered by a constipated person. Yes. Yes. But sadly, as I've said earlier, I struggled to imagine someone writing this. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine someone writing this. I can imagine someone writing this, and then as they hit the, they, <laughs> they hit, hit the enter period, on the line. Yeah, like, and just think to themselves, "That's the line." Yep, just a nice deep breath and a. Yep, I did it. Nailed it. The madam orders the bordello closed for the evening against the protest of another woman who fears the Nazis will know something's up. And because she has dialogue, she's obviously important. Naturally. Did you know that Natasha Malf, who played Rain in this, was in uh, Dead or Alive, D.O.A.? Whoa, 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 whoa. hang on, hang on. on. Yes, I did know that, but who did she play? Ayani. That's right. Yeah. She was also in um, In the Name of the King 2. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember As, that. Yeah, I forget. Manhattan. She was also in a film in 2015 called The Good, The Bad, and The Dead, which at one point was going to be called Forgotten, but it was styled as the number four, the word got, and the number ten. She was also in Electra. Oh, dear God. And an episode of Fringe. You learn something new every day. I liked Fringe. I liked it. I I only got as far as um, maybe a couple episodes into season two, um, but I enjoyed what I watched. I just I fell out of watching it and just never picked it back up again. I mean, but I keeps, like John Noble a lot. It keeps getting weirder, and I think like the second to last season, it really like starts to jump the shark pretty bad. Right, right. And then the last season is interesting, and there's some bold choices made, uh, and I'm glad that it ended. Um, mm. But yeah, interesting. I think it's worth getting through if you have... That seems to be the thing that happens with the most American TV shows, is you get to the point where you're just like, well, I'm glad it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, where you're from, they know how to end art while it still has some impact. Yeah. I mean, I'm feeling that way kind of about Game of Thrones right now. A lot honest. of people are backlashing on it. A lot of people unhappy. I mean, You've had eight seasons, like or at least seven seasons, of unbelievable hype and build. There was no way it was ever going to no. live up to it. No. And I, I just, I've only just watched Game of Thrones at all. Uh, my wife got into it, and oh, okay. I, I think I mentioned that on the last episode that yeah. we're talking about Barry. And so I have passively observed it in the background while she and her best friend went through it all. And now, now I've been keeping up with it because it's just it's part of the cultural zeitgeist i might as well you gotta stay connected yeah well and it's gonna be playing audibly in a room that i'm in yeah there's nowhere to go i missed my shot with the wire Mm. i didn't miss it with game of thrones but then 
I read the books before the TV show was made. Oh, well, that's the other thing. My wife's best friend, she uh, she's also read the books. Mm, did you read the books? Oh. She read the books. And, uh, oh, so did I. I read the books. And and, and points out uh, repeatedly that uh, the writers of the last season and this season, you know, they're going with no basis for, you know, because it hasn't been written yet. And, and No, no, the books haven't been written, but and, when they're published, I'll read them. And, and George R.R. R. Martin doesn't even know how the show is going to end, something she says. He doesn't know how the books are going to end. Every week. She says this every week to us, and that was information that I told her from an article that I had read <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Lovely stuff. So yeah, it's 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 fun. We're having a good time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, look, it's never been my thing. I can recognize that there was some really excellent storytelling going on at points throughout it, and some pretty shitty storytelling going on at parts throughout it too. And it's fine. Like the performances, I think, make that show more than anything, and they're all really good. And I don't care that none of the plot now makes sense <laughs> at the end like I just don't care if you never get to the main bit it really upsets people yeah I bet I bet it does yeah so the uh commandant complains to the doctor that his transition isn't going well because he loses a chest to him and then limps around and it seems like he steps into sunlight at some point and is unharmed, but the Seems gen- upset by that. He seemed upset when he realized he was in the light and it didn't do anything. And they went off into a dark room to sulk. Right. That's the, what it looked like. The pace of the scene and the performance makes it impossible to tell, like, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing from anybody's perspective. <laughs> yeah. It's super weird. Back at the bordello, Rain is rewarded for rescuing the woman by one of the other masseuses. While the woman who argued with the madam listens through the door and smiles. Yeah. Now, I'm not one to talk about realism, but this wouldn't happen. No. Never. Absolutely. Like, I... So, the reason she is... is They would be... Those women would be kicked out of that bordello if there was the slightest hint that they were given a, a, a free session away. Oh, that was your issue. Yeah, it's oh. not realistic. Oh. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily They'd true. They'd be kicked out on their ass. I mean, she did if save anything, an the person, if Well, if, if, if this was realistic, the person running this bordello, because of capitalism, I might add, mm-hmm. would have a go at blood rain for mistreating a client that's how they'd view it there's also the they'd be like you chased off a client well he was doing this fucking shitty thing i don't care i'm a capitalist that's probably true Uh, the other oddity of this is that like this other woman is has such interest in listening to what's going on on the other side of the door as if it wouldn't be pretty obvious what was going on on the other side of the door she works in a fucking bordello that bit i understood she's gonna flick herself off <laughs> well there, that i understood there is a narrative explanation to because she wants to ensure that raid is occupied while she runs off to tell the nazis that she's there yeah but again 
the pace and performance make it impossible to tell. Speaking about pacing, right? Uh-huh. If you're going to do an erotic sexual scene... Oh, yes, in your, please. ...in your film... Yes, yes. ...that looks like, you know, the most tragic of Skin and Max attempts at art, don't start the sex scene. Give us two and a half minutes of Clint Howard's face... <laughs> And then go back to the sex scene. <laughs> sex scenes are typically done in one scene. One go. You it's don't one cut go. away. And had it been just what they showed, in that it 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 actually would have made perfect sense. It, it was you know it it demonstrated what was necessary. It conveyed what was happened. There was no need for the subsequent return to the sex scene. I mean, what happened? Like you fucking. You're watching this film and you think, right, people have got their clothes off. Time to get my penis out because I've seen someone naked on the screen. Instantly. We all do that. And then the moment you've got, like, the moment I've got my lad in my hand, (laughs) I've got to look at Clint Howard whisper shouting. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Clint Howard intercepts her as she arrives to meet the Nazi commandant and asks for whatever information she has brought, but she refuses and goes to leave, only stopping when the doctor then threatens to have her shot in the head, saying he's reconsidered. It's a very weird and dissident scene. Yeah, yeah. We... But, but most importantly, Conrad, mm. what is the status of the breasts in the film at this point? Well, well, they're not quite on screen yet, because first we have to learn the character motivation of the woman who is coming to sell out her boss at the bordello. <laughs> She's ambitious and wants her job. She wants to run the bordello. Yeah, now that's another thing that I found a bit questionable. Mm. When, a high rank- <laughs> when a high-ranking occupying force official offers you anything, I want to run a sex shop, wouldn't be high on my list. <laughs> I want to own all the brothels in the city, maybe. Sure. I Sh- want just a fuckload of Nazi gold. Sure. I want to be the head of this one shit brothel. It's not even a nice one. Ambitious. It's just a shack. Ambitious, but lacks vision. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Cut to 47 seconds of on-screen sex. Oh, shit. And How are the breasts? Uh, uh, you know, uh, really are they exposed? Pushed, they're really exposed and pushed out there. there really? Is some, for our pleasure? For our pleasure. Well, I don't know, Oof, someone's I've pleasure. Got, I've got to fan myself down. I, I'm personally Oof. just trying to, like, she, she looks like she's in such pain and discomfort. That is true. It's a passionless, joyless... Like, you'd, you'd think they were married. She looks like she's auditioning to be half of a McDonald's sign. Yeah. That's how tightly her back is arched. Improbably. Yeah, it's... Shoulders flat, thighs flat. It and it's, is... it's just the most... Again, I'm going to use that word artless. It's the most artless take possible you could have on, like, a Shannon Tweed sex scene. And like, one yet, of those erotic thriller films. One of the more, like, graphic in its depictions. Like, sh- they're really shooting this. Oh, yeah, they show you. Hard. Yeah. They show you plenty of boobs, plenty of ass, plenty of sexy stuff. Lots of just, like, 
Hair over muff. Yeah, and it couldn't be less erotic. Not a Even bit. though, shot for shot, it's no different from an erotic sex scene in, you know, as I say, those Shannon Tweed-style erotic thrillers. And there's even, like, somewhat, from a porn perspective, convincing moaning. Yeah. Like, everything about it is... All the pieces Not are that there, different. but it's like it's like he had the jigsaw puzzle, right? But then rearranged the pieces. It took a hammer <laughs> to get them all yeah. to fit into some form of shape. I think it's just it's it's the atmosphere that's given off when you put a scene in a film just to have that scene in the film. Yeah. Yep. At but least when Shannon Tweed's doing a sex scene, she's doing it for the art. And it's not the worst one. No. No, no, no. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah oh, I just remember. You'd oh, forgotten. no. You'd forgotten. Yeah. So the doctor brings the prospective bordello operator to the commandant, who's weakly sitting in his chair, uh, something she observes with some concern. So very pro-Nazi, this woman. Uh, oh, she loves it. She has. She can't, she can't get enough of it. Yeah, for someone, you know, living in an occupied region, she's pretty down with her oppressors. All right. You know, it's, she sees opportunity. That's all it is. Just, you know, for her one bordello. Too many people. <laughs> too many people quick to sell out, quick to don the black shirt in order to run a low-class bordello. She tells them about the woman who badly hurt a German soldier at the bordello. I can't remember. Did she even say she wanted to own it or she just wants to be the she manager? Just, she just wants to be the manager. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Nazis. I'm going to sell out everyone I know and work with, right? And I'm going to sell out the hero. But I want to do day shifts at this Applebee's. No more nights. Uh, so, yeah. So she, uh, he, she informs... Uh, the commandant that she's still there getting her pussy licked. That's so apparently I snort at that because I'm a child. Yeah, yeah. I almost used the word waxed, but then I thought that you know it might be misconstrued as a legitimate service being offered. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah we don't we don't want to make anything sound legit in this film. Give off the wrong impression. And once through the information is conveyed, the commandant feeds on the woman. Obviously. Obviously. Back what did she think was going to happen? What do the black shirts think's going to happen to them? They never think it through. No. No. In the bordello, Rain is just finishing dressing. What great timing for the German soldiers to burst in. And fighting happens. That it's really, I mean, like, just ugh, boring as fuck. Yeah. And she moves to a balcony where she You sees... can't focus on action scenes when they're cut so much. No. No. Same I mean... goes for wrestling, WWE. Stop cutting and zooming in on every punch. I mean, I say Sorry. it's all a blur, but that also would convey that, you know, like there's some motion involved, but you barely see any movement before it has to cut to another angle all the time. Yeah. There's nothing blurry. It's all in all with perfect clarity, but that's part of the problem. Nothing's moving quick or interestingly enough for it to blur. Yeah. Uh, so the, the commandant is marching in and he sees her on the balcony and calls her mommy. And she flees as soldiers are shooting at her until he stops them, saying that they need her alive. This podcast is officially longer than the film now. All right. We passed that mark a couple minutes ago. But the doctor's pretty excited about the possibility she's been shot. 
starts collecting some of her blood that's been left behind. And then back in the doctor's lab, uh, I'm going to call this uh, ambitious prostitute Trixie. Uh, she's now a vampire. She wakes up in a cage. And he tests holy water on her, and it burns, but he notes that it doesn't just obliterate it, obliterate her the way it would a normal yeah. vampire. And she's, she's loving vampirism more than she loves Nazi collaboration, so she is reveling in this well, shit. Well, you know, that's the thing. She was always, like, down for evil, and now yeah. she's just upgraded. She realizes she might be able to manage two brothels now with her limitless power. <laughs> uh... So this indicates that she's inherited some sort of resistance to the holy water from being of Vrain's bloodline. And he then gives a lengthy monologue of the, on the implications of all of this for the Reich. It is so long. Yeah. Pretty... And all we really need to know is the Reich wants vampires. Right. Yeah. The right, the right. It's, it's, well, the, the it's not concept. like there isn't decades of Nazi occultist story lore for us to guess what's going on. Right. And, I mean, the immortal Reich is a, a, an expression that existed. Yeah. I often criticize films for relying on us to know shit. But this is so self-explanatory. Or, and even, even where it's not self-explanatory, it's poorly explained. Oh, absolutely. Like, it could have been condensed and, and delivered in a concise manner. I actually think that the way that this uh, bit ends, you know, with him saying that uh, evolution's inevitable, the fatherland inevitable, I, that's not a bad bit of writing. It's not even terribly delivered. But so much preceding it is so overwrought and dragged out dull that, like, had they just had that bit, it would have been fine. Do you ever wonder what's wrong with us? That we sit here dedicating over an hour of our time to incredulously arguing how Blood Rain the Third Reich could have been better. When that's a conversation Uwe Bull's never had. <laughs> it is, it does make you sort of question everything about your life. It doesn't matter, like, none of them are listening and think, taking notes, oh, well, we now know how to make the next Blood Rain film better. No. No one watched this, except for people who want to listen to this. And why do they want to listen to this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Back to the the Commandant, very briefly, playing chess. Of course. Alone. Of course. (laughs) And wondering what the doctor's up to before we go back to the lab, where we have yet another torturous dialogue exchange, during which the vampire eventually seduces the doctor into entering the cage with her. And predictably, she attacks him, and he fights her off, first with the holy water, then a quick staking, which happens just as the commandant comes down the stairs. And they both blow it off. They go upstairs. <laughs> uh, enraged, go on, keep it up. We're making good time now. An enraged raid rushes through the resistance hideout looking for grenades and explosives. Feeling responsible for the vampire plague and likely to now spread through the German Empire. Nathaniel comes along and calms her down. Convinces her to let the resistance team help. Because he's bored of just killing Nazis. 
Yeah. I see. Here's the thing, though. I get that that's the point of the plot. She wants to stop the Nazis making more vampires. Right. That are Nazi vampires. But the cast of characters is so small. And the scope of what's going on is so narrow. Even though there are very clear... Um, there's a very clear win-lose condition here. It still feels like there are no stakes. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a vampire joke. I mean, literally, there is nothing at stake. And that's how it feels. Even though the idea of a Reich of Nazi vampires should be fucking terrifying. I'm still here thinking, what? what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they are in, like... They're at the Eastern Front, right? This is the backwater of the war. No. Well, it's cheaper to film. Right. So, like, the threat doesn't exist until they get to Berlin and make Hitler a vampire. So I can see where it feels sort of small-scale right now, but they do nothing to make the threat feel impending. Because that's so it. It doesn't away. feel like a fully realized threat. Mm-hmm. So even though I know there's something at stake, it never feels like there is throughout the whole film because it just feels so small and contained. And well, it's, and it never rises above. Nazis are here. Yeah, I mean, it never even rises. Yeah, um, you're right because it doesn't escalate to Nazi vampires are here. There is one scene where so there are some Nazi vampires and there is a fight and then it is over. And then it's over. You never get this sense of, oh shit, the, the, the titular Third Reich is getting spooky. No. No, it's very contained. Yeah. In the game, all sorts of shit was going down. Well, I mean, it becomes a vast like, conspiracy thing, ultimately, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've also got, like, weird floating heads with vertebrae exploding out of Nazi officers and then them being, like, weird devil Nazi officers. All sorts of shit going on. There's a mech level. It's a horrible level. It's the worst level in the game, but there's a mech nonetheless. All right. Uh, you know, I would love the uh, Wolf Wolfenstein team at ID to make a Blood Rain game. That would be impeccable. That, just, Jessica, just give them the fucking license. Between what they've done with Doom and Wolfenstein and what it looks like they'll be doing with Rage, that level of ridiculousness and over-the-top violence for a Blood Rain game would be amazing. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've tried to play Blood Rain. I have tried. It's, it's, it's dated badly, and it was in rough shape even for its time. Yeah. It, I enjoy it as a very guilty pleasure. It just hurts too much. For me yeah. to play it. Um, I just want to quickly rescind that because I actually don't like the term guilty pleasure. That was just force of cultural habit. Sure. Um, you shouldn't feel guilty. No. About not feel just liking about a pleasure. video game. Yep. Uh, yeah, so. Vassal comes up to uh, Nathaniel and, and Rain who have finished their argument over, you know, whether or not they're all going to go kill Nazis together. And says that Magda's in position. And, as if to mimic the audience, Rain asks who Magda is. <laughs> despite both having been introduced to and invaded the space of this woman just the day prior. <laughs> she has had two notable encounters with this singularly blonde woman amongst this group of resistance fighters. 
She's snide. That's the only takeaway I have from it. She's fucking snide. Magda's in a bar with a couple Germans. Who's Magda? Flirting as she's frisked from a trip to the bathroom. And she sits in the lap of the officer. And there's some dialogue about how the <coughs> this, this is my favorite, favorite bit of writing in the entire goddamn movie. I, because it is an example of the writer legitimately trying to be ironically funny. And it doesn't work, but I see it and I appreciate it. And it's still, it's so understated that you could just like, you know, everything in this is sort of one note performance. Bleh. So you'd move right past it. But there's this dialogue of how there are people who were discriminated about the German uh, against the Germans in this bar based solely on the clothes that they're wearing. Now the clothes do not rarely make the man, and, yeah. and it's just it it belongs in a better movie than this. To use that sort of uh, non-reflective. L- lack of a sense of irony uh, from these characters. After, and after, after typing that line, hit center, I've nailed it twice in one film. Nailed it twice in one film. I am the best writer. That's how I imagine that went down. But at least, but this one at least feels like... Oh, this was their Oscar moment. Yeah, he wasn't trying, but he wasn't trying to take it over the top. And the performance isn't over the top. And it's just very casual and, and, like, sinister yet sincere. This scene works. It's the one scene in the movie that I think kind of works. Of course, you know, it's because it's stolen from the Godfather. (laughs) Uh, She orders a round of drinks and retrieves a pistol that was taped to the bottom of the table, shooting the officer in the head. And then turns to the other uh, soldier that's there. And asks uh, and suggests that he has two questions going through his mind. How's my night going to end? And where did she have that gun hidden? Hmm. And he just ruined all the goodwill that he'd gotten from me. (laughs) (laughs) As a writer. Uh, She asks the other soldier for information on the codes that she intercepted the night before when Rain walked in on her. You know, and interacted with her and should have remembered she existed. And outside this bar, Nathaniel and Rain talk about how important Magda is to the Resistance as a sort of central clearinghouse for all information about everything ever related to it. So vital to the operation. Mm-hmm. One, one might say a weak link in the structure in that she has, you know, like all of the data. Cool. So, you know, if you were going to target someone, that would be the person that you'd target. That'd be the one, yeah, tactically. Yeah. Yeah, and you would yeah. certainly want to use that person on a whole lot of missions, you know, where they perform an undercover role and could be found and captured. Mm-hmm. This resistance really has their shit together. They resist good ideas. So they part ways, and Rain walks down some empty streets. <laughs> And sensing that there's been a lull of the action, two vampires appear out of nowhere for her to fight. 
resist good ideas. <laughs> so anyway, these vampires come out. Yeah, fighting happens. It's really fighting. Yeah. yeah, Rain yeah. then has a dream where she's walking through the resistance hideout looking for Nathaniel, when she is attacked by a vampire Hitler. And let me just say, the fact they couldn't even be bothered to find someone who vaguely looks like Hitler is incredible. Even the shittiest films can find someone who looks a bit like him. Hell, but they they I just look slapped a bit like Hitler. Yeah. They just slapped a moustache on a caretaker. <laughs> it's made worse by the fact they have that stock footage at the beginning that shows actual Hitler, just to enhance how little like Hitler their their Hitler looks. <laughs> well, they just slapped the moustache on. Is that good enough? Yeah. Um, he looked. He actually does look more like Charlie Chaplin. He does. Or, or fucking Ron Mayle from Sparks than he does Adolf fucking Hitler. So the commandant visits his loyal lieutenant at home in the middle of the night. Nothing untoward about that. Saying that recent events have caused him to redirect his efforts in the war. And he says that the lieutenant's tracking skills will be highly valuable to the cause. (laughs) Not stupid, just evil. The lieutenant realizes that the commandant intends to turn him. And he refuses, but is turned anyway. Cool. Having awoken from her nightmare, Rain finds Nathaniel's lurking around her crypt. She asks how he found him, and he comments that you don't have to be a bloodhound to do it. Cut to the doctor entering the room with the commandant and the lieutenant with a vial containing Rain's blood, which the commandant has the lieutenant smell so he can track her like a dog. It's an hour and ten minutes, but it really does feel longer. Like a bloodhound. Yeah. This fucking movie, I swear to God. Every time he does, the writer does something that's, like, passable. It's like, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, though. Check this out. (laughs) It's torturous, it's torturous, but we've got our bloodhound. Rain observes the cold-hearted nature of the assassination the Resistance performed earlier that evening and only now is reflecting on it as opposed to in the moment when instead we needed to reinforce how important Magda was to the cause. Yeah. I am so confused on the narrative well, the most confusing of script. The most confusing part of this scene is when she does reflect. She then looks directly at the camera and says, looks like both sides are just as bad. That was the weirdest part of the film for me. Really, I thought it was how Nathaniel observes Rain's use of the word donned. Right! As antiquated. I, I hinted at this at the beginning. Donned is not an antiquated word. It's certainly not an antiquated word in the 1940s. Nowhere near antiquated enough. Like, like you'd get, you'd maybe get someone remark on it these days. Sure. But I could easily say, like, I'm just going to don my coat and get out of here. Mm-hmm. And no one would make fun of it. No, everyone knows what that word means and does not necessarily think it's... Yeah, yes, exactly. But this this was... <laughs> this was the most medieval-sounding word the writer knew. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. To him, donned is the most freakishly out-of-place thing you could say in the war. Isn't this... 
isn't this the man who, hang on, I just need to, this is the man who wrote the film about the man who goes back in time to medieval France. Mm-hmm. In the name of the king, two worlds. Yeah, yeah. And somehow. Well, I don't think there was any real medieval dialogue in that. <laughs> Probably not. Just make us say forsooth. Everyone knows forsooth. <laughs> Dumbed. Uh, I swear I've said it. I swear in my life I must have said don. Oh, I've said it many times. To talk about, yeah. I've donned my coat. I've used it, yeah. Let me just don my coat. Yeah, mm-hmm. easy. Everyone knows it. No one, no one would point and laugh at that. She then observes that Vassal of the Resistance is lurking around too. And Nathaniel helpfully reminds us who Vassal is. <laughs> because he's one of the two characters that were introduced earlier on. She can't remember any of them. No, no. She's too bi- She's big-timing them. Then after getting incense that Nathaniel also brought Vassal to her lair, we get these lines. And I love this dialogue too. I'm surprised your kind has survived this long. As long as you're here, I think we have a major problem. Now, what she actually means is that she wants to talk to the whole Resistance core team about how she thinks that the Commandant intends to take his vampire show on the road to Berlin. But the way it's phrased and delivered, it seems as though she is talking about humanity writ large. Mm-hmm. You know, because it start, she is, in the first sentence, talking about that. She is saying, I'm surprised your kind has survived this long. And then there's not enough of a pause and not a great flow into the next sentence, which is intended to be wholly separate, a wholly separate st- statement from that one. Yeah. Instead, it seems she is saying, as long as your kind is here on this planet, I think we have a major problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. That just that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> it it better contextualizes that bit where she says both sides are just as bad. Exactly. She definitely does in this film. Totally says it. Says it. Uh, but it, it's at this point where she looks at the camera and says, "I mean, there are some good people on both sides." Yeah, yeah. It was very weird, very weird when Brendan Fletcher then turned to the camera with his English accent and said, and let's talk about Antifa. (laughs) Just then the lieutenant attacks, furious with Raid for bringing this vampire shit on him. Yeah. And fighting happens, ending with Vassal brutalizing the lieutenant with a nightstick until Raid intervenes, saying that they need him. And he reveals that he was sent to find them and that the Commandant has fed on him specifically to take advantage of his tracking abilities. Then he further goes on to volunteer the sequence of people that led him to reign, those being Nathaniel, Magda, and quote-unquote, the Whore. It is unclear to me how this connection is actually made. I do not know what connects the Whore, Magda, and Nathaniel. Uh, they were all in the same film. That's the only that, thing I've that's got. That's literally it. That's all I've got. It was just, I have I have interacted with some people, and now I'm here. And it's never been, it's never explained further, uh, as Nathaniel proceeds to lose his shit over Magda's name being mentioned in this process. As, of course, remember, she has 
all the possible information that exists about the resistance inside her head. Yep. And Rain has to now stop him from killing the lieutenant in the event that the lieutenant might have more valuable information he wants to volunteer with very little duress. Once they find out... Even even though they've put a makeup job to make him look like his eyes have been fucking stoved in by the beating, he doesn't actually act like he's in pain, except for that one moment where she pokes at the eye. For the rest of it, he's just lying on the floor chilling (laughs) with makeup on, just... Let me tell you about some people I've met, and now I'm here. And once they find out that Magda has yet to be relocated out of the city, and Rain has confirmed that the lieutenant has nothing more of value to share, by literally asking him, is there anything else? <laughs> nope, I think that's all of it. He's, she stakes him. Now, uh, <laughs> it surprises me how his kind made it this far. <laughs> He, there is a narrative justification embedded in this that is not effectively explored. The opportunity was there. They fucking botched it like they've botched every other opportunity in this movie. But they, they set up that he's like disgusted by the vampire shit to begin with early on, Mm -hmm. you know. And a proper Nazi would. Absolutely right. A he's the good Nazi. He's the good Nazi who looks out for his commanding officer who, you know, comes back from the dead. He's the good Nazi who cares about the people around him. Please stop saying the good Nazi. But that's the good Nazi trope, right? That is, it exists in all sorts of films. This is not, you know, that you have Nazis. There is the quote-unquote redeemable Nazi film. I get what you mean. Right. I I get what you mean. And that's what he's supposed to be here. And it's supposed to be tragic that he becomes a vampire. Mm. It's supposed to be to this point now here where he is betraying his commandant because he doesn't because he knows that this vampire shit is going to ultimately destroy the Third Reich that he loves. But instead, (laughs) we get this schmuck just delivering information. We got to get through it quick. I mean, the thing is, is you could also play it the other way and have him have this accentuate his evil traits, but having him be used for a good reason in that I think any Nazi would be disgusted just from the simple fact of not being the perfect master race human. Right. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's introducing mixing it Mixing blood and all this kind of racist shit they could spout. And then he could volunteer the information because he wants to die. Well, that's it. That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. That's, that's the it. scenario yeah. that they have to a small degree started to establish but didn't flesh out enough for it to pay he off He didn't here. pray for death. That was all they needed was the praying for death. Yep. That that would have sealed it. Yeah. Again, it's... it's I'm, I'm paid by... You know, there's so little opportunity to do anything written anywhere into this that the few sparks of light that I see that poke through the canopy of darkness that is Blood Rain, the Third Reich, uh, I'm fixated on. Yeah, it comes back to what I said towards the beginning about comedy as well, where it's like, oh, they could be going, no, it didn't even occur to them. No, no. They didn't even think of it. (sighs) So... Returning to the bar where the assassination was carried out, the resistance people find a bunch, the core group that's left, they find a bunch of Nazis. 
and uh, Magda is arrested as the fighting happens, and then Rain and crew are forced to retreat. And cut to the train depot where Magda's tied up and forced to listen to the commandant soliloquize about his newfound immortality before he feeds on her. This is a really painful stretch of dialogue that I'm not going to dwell on. Returning to the resistance base, they find that it's been destroyed and all the people there killed. And so now reduced to, what, uh, nine people plus three. So 12, a dozen people, a dirty dozen, if you will. Dirty, filthy dozen. Uh, Raid convinces Nathaniel and crew to attack the Nazis at the rail depot to rescue Magda. And so she starts sharpening her knives and gives us her own voiceover soliloquy about, honestly, I have no fucking idea what this is about. Uh, endless battle, the constant struggle for humanity, but I don't know. But she's strapping on her iconic knives that she's never used before in this movie, so you know it's important. <laughs> and then barely uses even when she does strap it on. She starts picking off Nazi guards around the trade depot one at a time, real casual-like, taking their unfinished cigarettes along the way. This is odd. Yeah. Like... Uh, if if I were to select a segment of this film to show to someone completely out of context and say, here, you can enjoy this 30 seconds of this film. And, you know, see her come down upside down and, you know, poorly kill the one guy that pop up next oh, to the other guy. Oh, that was awful. Smoking the cigarette. That was the bit where she, like, is supposed to be hanging upside down and, and comes down to stealthily kill the bloke. Mm-hmm. And yet it's so obvious she's sat on a shelf above him and he's awkwardly bending backwards to go down rather than like a Spider-Man or Batman just like straight descent. It looks so bad. Which is, you can just tell she's hurting her back trying to get back up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, but I love the way she just like pops up next to the other guy. And she has like the cigarette hanging out of her mouth that she took from the other dude. Mm-hmm. I love that. I like that shot. It's comic. I, I, if the film were only this like thirty seconds stretch, I, I have been happy. It should have just been a short film. Uh what a shame. If it was that one scene, this would have been Uwe Boll's Avengers Endgame. Yep, yep. So having uh, cleared out all of the obvious guards posted around the depot, she just calls out verbally to the resistance people nearby. You know, not like thinking that there might be people, people inside or downstairs. In fact, they're like, oh, there must be sh- shit downstairs. Okay. So they all descend into the basement where they find a now vampiric Magda that tries to convince Vassal to join her briefly before Rain stakes her. And then they determine that there's nobody else in the depot, which leads Rain to conclude that there are more vampires here and there are at fighting caps. What? Okay, so the vampires hid out all throughout this place because it is daylight outside. So they have to be in here. And they hid out effectively, letting them explore the whole of the depot a couple of times before they ambush? Yeah. Okay. The vampires are defeated when Nathaniel... Sh- this was around the time I started playing Shakedown, if I'm honest. As well you should have. The vampires are <laughs> defeated when Nathaniel shoots out the windows, allowing daylight in, but the Commandant arrives with regular troops who are impervious to sunlight and just easily captures everybody. 
Seemed unnecessary to use the vampires, but what the fuck do I know? It was just to show that there there were some. It was the it's the only scene where there are vampires killed. <clears throat> Outside the Nazi base, someone pickpockets instructions from a soldier to to indicate to us that the resistance is still out there. Inside, Nathaniel is addressed by the commandant saying they should have no trouble to get into Berlin, thanks to all the useful information gathered from Magda, and Nathaniel can look forward to being hanged. So, cool. Meanwhile, the doctor is draining blood from Rain, and expressing his excitement about transfusing the Fuhrer with it, while she comments about how it won't help Hitler's, quote, small dick complex. That classic 1940s terminology yep and that was said right after someone donned their shoes the doctor considers beheading her for her insolence but decides instead to make an exhibit of her and then the commandant comes in and slaps her around a bit before feeding from her arm so the nazis head to berlin nathaniel and rain are alone in a (laughs) transport car oh it's time for yes it's it's time for the worst sex scene of this film, if you could believe such a I thing. I want to say, of this, or possibly any film. Yeah, yeah. Because this one definitely should rank on a list somewhere. It's one of the only films, It's actually, it's the only film I know of where the sentence, they fucked in a Nazi wagon, makes sense in context. Does it? Does it make sense in context? Does it? Does it really? You're... I tell you what, I stand corrected because that assumes there is any context ever in this film. So the the remaining resistance fighters further ahead on the road, they're reflecting on how they have one shot to use their single lone, load of dynamite at this lone pass on the road to prevent the vampire Nazi convoy from reaching Berlin and making Hitler unstoppable. We needed to be reminded of the stakes of this of the film at this point because we're about to go back to the transport car where Nathaniel begins groping Rain unsolicited. Yes. She is laying down next to him. And the way it's shot, you see the hand first. So I assumed for the first few moments of this scene she was being abused by a Nazi officer. But no. It's Nathaniel. He is sitting upright. It's, It's the support hero. It's one of these transport vehicles, right? Uh, that you see often in you know prison transports. It's got a little bench along one side, or yeah. along each side. It, it's a yeah. It's a Nazi van, right? For carrying prisoners, he's, it's it's a horrible death machine. He's he is seated upright, and she is laying next to him, her head next to his thigh. Because I want to make sure you've got the picture painted. Because you see, you might not have watched this movie, and bless your heart. You should not have watched this That's movie. correct, but I think it's truly important for you to be able to visualize what is happening inside of this Nazi prison transport vehicle. As this man, who, yes, it's a good point, you only see the wrist down. And if you had been doing something else like, I don't know, uh, Playing Shakedown Hawaii. Playing Shakedown Hawaii, for example. Uh, on your Nintendo yeah. Switch. You might not have seen the preceding very brief shot that showed Nathaniel and Rain in the car together. 
And so, yeah, I looked up and thought, oh, she's being groped by an evil Nazi. She's going to wake up and cut that hand. Oh, wait, no, that's the support hero. That's, yes, that is our secondary male lead. Just... I don't want to say it says a lot about how certain filmmakers approach seduction. It's it's so weird. It's so weird. Like, there's nothing. I'm, I'm watching it. I'm like, there is. Is this erotic? The, does Uva Bull think that this is erotic? This man just running his. You're asking me. You're asking me if Uva Bull might find something erotic about an unconscious woman being groped in a Nazi transport van. Mmm. I'll say that's given me some meat to chew on as a thought experiment. Uh, you see the head run down the lace bodice that she's wearing. Fucked up. And, and run up. And I no better time for there to be a siren airing in my background yeah, audio. Just thinking, yeah. By the way, in case you were wondering, because yeah, somebody fucking call the authorities. But he runs his hand down the lace bodice and then back up to the exposed cup of her bosom and runs his thumb underneath the edge. And this is the point at which she wakes up. And it's done in a way as to suggest that it is intended to be erotic from his perspective. Yeah, yeah. And horrifying from hers. That's how it looks. And she gets up freaked and ready to attack him as she should mm. and then they have consensual sex in the back of the Nazi prison transport <laughs> after she has been groped <laughs> by him <laughs> It's unbelievable. And graphic. It's, uh, yes. It is as needlessly graphic as the other sex scene was. Yeah. And we cannot emphasize enough that this is happening in a moving Nazi transport. Presumably with the driver and the wingman just thinking happens all the time. And Off we go to Berlin. And preceded by a non-consensual assault. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's Uber Bull's erotic Nazi van assault scene. That's what it is. It's his entire. Why is any is of building it? to this? This is his Avengers Endgame. <laughs> this is Uber Bull's Endgame. Let's face it. This is what he's always. Wa- this is what you've always wanted, Uber. The explosives planted. Vassal arranges for their sniper to fire on the convoy when it arrives to start the fighting. That would have been awkward if they were fucking still. Yeah, sure would. But thankfully, it happens just as Nathaniel and Rain finish dressing. Yep. Uh, And they manage to escape while the resistance fighters are killing Nazis. Uh, The Commandant and Doctor get out of their vehicle, I guess, near the back of the convoy. And the Commandant takes a vial of Raid's blood from the Doctor to his great dismay and frustration, saying that it's meant for the Fuhrer. Drinking it with a Heil Hitler, the Commandant gets a rush of power as the Doctor flees, 
only to be shot by the resistance sniper. Fighting very, very briefly happens. Very briefly. The Commandant is about to shoot Vassal, but gets stabbed by Nathaniel first. Uh, Now, the stabbing does nothing. And so Nathaniel is tossed down a slope, making it... Nathaniel's stabbing was doing nothing earlier as well. (laughs) Oh! Ineffectual. Uh, And then it's Raid's turn, and she gets her head smacked against a car. But while the Commandant is bragging about being power incarnate, Rain just kicks him over from behind, then grabs a large rock and drops it on his head. His head blows up. And that's it. She drops the rock and it blows up, and, and that's, that's... That's that's how tough Hitler was going to be, folks. A dying vassal says that he'll be fine, and Nathaniel orders him to be put in the truck. And he says it's over, but Rain insists there's more work to be done. Cut to artillery fire and war stock footage... And then to the exterior of a labor camp, which we know to be a labor camp, because there is a big sign over the entrance, which reads Arbeitslager, and I'm sorry if I've mangled that pronunciation for any of our German-speaking listeners. Uh, if you've doctor mangled that. hey But that translates to labor camp. It's not the name of a labor camp. Yeah, just... It's just a labor camp. Uh, exactly what it says on the tin. Which is exactly what you'd do, wouldn't you? If you were running oh, yeah. a Nazi labor camp, you'd put a big sign at the entrance that says labor camp? How else would how, people know how would where they know? to go? How would, how would the people how who were secretly transferring uh, prisoners of war and refugees to work in these labor camps ever know where to find it if you didn't put the sign out front? If it wasn't signposted, they wouldn't be able to find it because it's a secret. It makes sense. So soldiers opened the gate to let a German truck in. And the commander of the base, who's the one we saw shoot a guy earlier to show us how evil Nazis are, he comes out to see what the fuss is. Mm. And the truck opens to reveal that Raid and the resistance fighters are inside. And as she exits, she says, Guten Tag, motherfuckers. <laughs> Roll credits. And I immediately, the moment I saw the word cast come up, I was like, right, there's no more of this. And immediately switched it off. Yes. And you were correct. There was no more yeah. of that. Whew. It was awful. Yes. Dire film. I can't believe we were almost at two hours. How have we done this again? Well, I, we were doing well. I, I warned you that there was stuff to talk about. You were like, <laughs> oh, this was so boring. There was nothing to- No, there's some shit in here. Like, that, that right uh, sexual assault turned consensual sex I did forget about that yeah like, until you reminded me that is so just beyond do you know pale. do you want another worst thing Conrad? what is this what we just watched and talked about is only the hors d'oeuvre for the real reason to do this film uh 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 oh because like i was just thinking that like this is the most bowl ever face uh, ever bowled up to this point right i can't wait i can't wait to tell you this okay ask me the question uh so uh w- w- he said with some concerned <laughs> trepidation what are we watching next time jim well conrad ask yourself this what could be worse than blood rain the third reich Oh no! Oh oh no! This is the disowned 
uh, House of the Dead 3 that stars Dean Cain, isn't it? Oh no, that would be good. Oh no. That would be fun. I've seen that film and that, that's got something to, to have some fun with. Oh god. Oh no. Allow me to read from the Wikipedia page as I demonstrate what could be worse than Blood Rain the Third Reich. <clears throat> Blubberella is a 2011 comedy action film written and directed by Uwe Boll. The plot revolves around an obese vampire superhero set in Nazi-occupied Europe. The entire film is a scene-for-scene -scene spoof of Blood Rain the Third Reich, directed by Boll himself with most of the same cast and crew. Oh my god. I have been sat on that for two hours waiting to sh waiting to throw that at your feet. And I, do you, do you want to know the best, the best bit? Because it gets better. Adolf Hitler is in this film. Take a wild guess who plays him. No, he's doing it himself. He's doing it himself. Uwe fucking bull <laughs> as Adolf fucking Hitler. Okay, all right, so this is where the character names came from. Yes. Oh, okay. Clint Howard as Dr. Mangler. William William Belly as Vag. Oh, Just no. Vag. Oh, my God. Why? There was no way we could do this film without it coming off the black off the back of the third Reich because if we do just one other episode between them, all impact of Blubberella will have lost its meaning. No, we have to go straight from the third Reich to the shot for shot spoof done by the same man in which he plays Hitler. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. How is that for a twist? How is that for some actual stuff? I had no How idea is that? that this existed. This is horrifying. Ah. Oh. This is gonna be the best or the worst episode. Oh, yeah. I, I, the next episode of the spin-off Doctors will either be the best or the worst one. I say that. Watch it end up be a genuinely boring film with nothing to say. But right now, I like to think this will be the best thing or the worst thing we do. I mean, it's my... Here's my hope. My hope is that Uva Bowl has taken the things that worked in Postal and mm -hmm. combined them with the utter absurdity that he has been allowed to continue to make these franchise pictures... Like, there's a possibility that this is genuinely funny and him taking the piss out of his own shit. However, this is Uva Bowl. And even in the best of circumstances, the execution is going to be bad. Well, we've already established that his films seem to get worse as he goes on. So, what are we at? Four years after Postal? Yeah. Is Blubberella? So let's just see how badly his sense of humor's decayed. Also, he did talk about having Nazi gold in Postal, and now he's playing Hitler in this. Did they just shoot? And these given at the same some time? of his racist diatribes, maybe. I mean, they had Clint Howard on set for both. Well, not just Clint. 
Oh, they've got nearly everyone. Yeah, they're almost um, all back. They've got it's almost the Brendan's entire same back, cast Michael Pare's back. Oh, God. What hath science wrought? I guess next time, then. Next time. <coughs> right. To the folks who watch these films before the, the podcast comes out, have fun. Yeah. Go watch Blubberella. I'm expecting to be offended. I As yeah. a fat person and as someone who also doesn't want to see over Bull dressed up as Hitler parading around. I think it's going to offend everyone for many reasons in many ways. So look forward to that. And we'll see you next time, I guess. Uh, bye. bye.